These transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look. Once upon a time, there was a man who shot another man for having an affair with his wife. He figured sometime later, the best way to restore his reputation was to be a general in the American Civil War, even though he had no military training. He was able to get the support of the President of the United States and fought with his troops in two of the most important battles in the conflict. Yet he made some questionable moves, moves that are still debated today. Today I have part two of the story of a man called an American scoundrel, Daniel Sickles, on the 209th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Good Sunday morning to you. My name is Jeff, and for the next half hour or so, I'll be your storyteller. For those new to Coffee with Jeff, I'm Jeff, and I spend about two weeks or so researching a topic I'd like to know more about, and then write it into a hopefully engaging story. At least that's my thought. So, how is everybody doing out there? Here in the Midwest, the weather is starting to turn cold. Hey, and you know what? If you're not doing anything this weekend, I could use your help raking leaves. That would be great. And yes, I still use an old-fashioned rake, not one of those noisy health hazards known as leaf blowers. Now, before I get started, I want to say that a lot of this story comes from a ranger, Matt Atkinson, a park ranger for the Gettysburg National Military Park. He has a bunch of wonderful and informative videos on YouTube. Each one is over an hour long. That being said, keep in mind that when you listen to my story today, I'm telling this in 25 to 30 minutes, and it's meant to be a general overview. For you Civil War buffs, don't bother writing in telling me what I didn't put into my story or how I simplified a battle. Hey, it's all I could do with the time I have. If you're interested in all the fine details and more wonderful stories about Dan Sickles, there are plenty of other resources, like Ranger Matt. I'll have links to a lot of these in the show notes for today's episode. Another source I used a lot was the book American Scoundrel, The Life of the Notorious Civil War General Dan Sickles by Thomas Kennelly. So let's get to it. The story of a man who started his own army and fought in the Civil War. Major General Dan Sickles. Wealthy, devious, a rogue. Recently acquitted of murdering his wife's lover using the first plea of temporary insanity in U.S. history, he'll leave Gettysburg even more notorious. Dan Sickles was all about Dan Sickles. If it didn't benefit or aid Dan Sickles, he wasn't very interested uh, in it. He didn't go to West Point. He didn't have any military experience, but he was able to use his money, influence, and power to raise his own regiment. The American Civil War, the battle between North and South, the war that ultimately freed the slaves. It lasted four years and 27 days, and over 65,000 Americans died. Of all the battles and bloodshed that took place, there's one battle that stands out, probably the only battle every American knows by name, and that's Gettysburg. 
It was the bloodiest battle of the war and has been called the war's turning point as it's considered the collapse of a serious Confederate threat of victory. It has been estimated that over 3,100 were killed during the three days of fighting. Many famous commanders fought at Gettysburg. George G. Meade, Robert E. Lee, Winfield S. Hancock, James Longstreet, George Sykes, and the man who's the subject of today's episode, General Daniel Sickles. For those of you who listened to the last episode, Dan Sickles was a married, prostitute-loving United States congressman who gunned down an unarmed son of Francis Scott Key in broad daylight, practically in front of the White House in Washington, D.C., and got away with it. His political career was ruined by the scandal. No, not the murder of Key, but because he forgave his wife for her infidelity. Sickles wouldn't be re-elected to Congress, but in 1861, he had other things on his mind. Seven states of the USA decided it was time to leave the Union and form their own country called the Confederate States of America. Thus began the Civil War. Dan saw this as a way to fix his tarnished image. He wanted to be a general commanding his own troops. The thing is, Sickles was a lawyer from New York, not a graduate of West Point. But Dan had a lot of money, so he used that money to start his own infantry, what he called the Excelsior Brigade. Yet his brigade would be meaningless unless he had the backing of the president in Congress. Now Sickles was a Democrat, and the current president, Abraham Lincoln, was a Republican. But fortunately, Lincoln was looking for bipartisan support for the war. Sickles began talking to Lincoln, making friends with him, but more importantly began speaking to the true power of the White House, Mary Todd Lincoln. If it was one thing Dan was good at, it was charming the ladies. He became friends with Mrs. Lincoln, even attending her seances. You see, Mary Todd was a believer in talking to the dead, even more so after the Lincoln's youngest son had died during an illness. Was Dan a believer? I don't know. Most assume it was just Sickles being Sickles, doing what he had to to get what he wanted. And it worked. Dan Sickles moved up the ranks, and by September 3rd, 1861, he was the general of his own troops. It might seem odd that that could happen, but at the time, there just wasn't enough military leaders. So even though Congress initially objected to Sickles, desperate times call for desperate measures. They couldn't turn down thousands of men who were willing to fight. He was put under control of Union Army Major General Joseph Hooker, the current American Civil War general for the Union. Hooker took an immediate dislike to Sickles, feeling that he wasn't a real soldier or general. But as time went on, the two became pretty good friends. They were a lot alike, actually. Both loved hard drinking and prostitutes. Some say their headquarters looked less like a professional military operation and more like a bordello. For the most part, Sickles performed his duties with professionalism and bravery, and he showed courage in battle. And although he did study military strategy, his inexperience would show time and time again. He was in charge of the Third Corps, and one of the Third Corps' first big battles was at Chancellorsville, a conflict fought in early May 1963. The battle took place outside the Chancellorville mansion in North Virginia. It was considered a stunning Confederate victory which led to the fight at Gettysburg. When the Union and the Confederacy met, Hooker commanded about 13,000 men while Robert E. Lee and his right-hand man Stonewall Jackson about 6,500. This was about a 2-to-1 advantage for the North. And Hooker set a trap for General Lee. 
While Hooker was in front of Lee's troops, distracting Lee as if he was the main attack, Sickles and his men were sneaking up from behind, trapping Lee in between. It might have been the end of Lee, but Lee and Jackson were smart. When Hooker got cold feet and didn't advance, knowing that Sickles' men were now behind him, Stonewall Jackson took about two-thirds of the troops and began an 11- to 14-mile journey to swing around and attack Sickles from behind. Now, Sickles got reports of the men moving and thought it was the South retreating. He engaged them and captured a few of Stonewall's men, and in interrogations, the men told Sickles what they were doing sneaking around to come up from behind, but Sickles failed to act, thinking that it was just a trick. Now Sickles had his men set up in an area known as Hazel Grove, the only open part of a mostly wooded area. It was the perfect spot to set up artillery. But then Sickles got a strange order. He was to give up the area and move back towards the Chancellorville house. This peculiar order from Hooker might have had something to do with a cannonball that struck the wooden columns at Hooker's headquarters. It knocked him senseless, but he refused to turn over command and continued to give orders, even with a severe concussion. His second-in-command, Major General Darius N. Couch, was so disgusted by his action that he refused to work with Hooker ever again. When Stonewall's men attacked, they did just what Sickles was planning. They set up cannons in Hazel Grove and did horrible damage to the Union troops. The battle was a humiliating defeat for the Union and what should have been an easy victory. After the battle, General Hooker would take most of the blame for the massive losses. Many historians today put a lot of the responsibility on Sickles. How he handled the troops during Stonewall's attack really showed his inexperience. One of the most significant losses for the South during this battle was the loss of Thomas Stonewall Jackson. His own troops accidentally shot him in the arm, which eventually led to his death. A few months later, the armies would meet again, this time at Gettysburg. By this time, Hooker had since resigned from his post, and Abraham Lincoln replaced him with General George Meade. Meade was a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point and had moved up the ranks fairly quickly. He was a professional soldier who didn't take alcohol. Dan Sickles was a political general who had been friends with Hooker, and Meade took an immediate dislike to him. But the events in the war were happening so fast, Meade didn't have time to choose the men he wanted under his command, so he was stuck with Sickles. The Battle of Gettysburg began on July 1, 1863. After his victory at Chancellorsville, General Robert E. Lee marched his army north into Pennsylvania in late June 1863, thinking it was essential to have a Confederate victory in the north. At Gettysburg, the North and South just sort of bumped into each other and began the bloodiest, most crucial battle of the war. As far as Lee was concerned, it was time to finish off the Union Army once and for all. Our story begins on day two of the conflict. The Union had about 85,000 men against 65,000 for the South. The Union troops held the high ground, but the men organized in a fish-hook shape, the Confederate troops all around trying to move towards them. General Lee was quoted as saying, I'm going to whip them here or they're going to whip me. To the north of the Union line, there was Cemetery and Culp Hill, and to the south, there was Little and Big Round Top. As you can imagine, these hills were very important strategically, as they would give the highest ground. Now, of all the Union commanders at Gettysburg, Dan was the only one not from West Point. His Third Corps had more than 10,000 men. 
Meade had ordered Sickles to take up a defensive position at the southern end of Cemetery Ridge. To his left would be the 2nd Corps, and to his right, Little Round Top. His position would complete the line that has been called a fish hook for its shape. Now, if you look at the Union line, it sort of forms the letter J. About 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning, General Meade sent his son, George Jr., his staff officer, down to talk to Sickles to make sure all was set. Dan said no, he wasn't clear about his orders. After returning and relaying that message to his father, the son returned to Sickles with the orders that he is to go into position on the left of the 2nd Corps, that his right rest on Hancock's left, and he is to occupy the line held by General Gary's the night before. And then he added, it is of the utmost importance that his troops be in position as soon as possible. Apparently, that still wasn't clear to Sickles, as he never deployed his forces into a complete battle line. The thing was, he wasn't happy with the area he was in. It was sort of low, in a hole. He eventually rode and talked to Meade in person. Meade repeated his instructions again. Then Sickles asked whether he could dispose of his corps according to his own judgment, in which Meade responded, Certainly within the limits of the general instructions I have given you, any ground within those limits you choose to occupy, I leave to you. Traveling back with Sickles was Henry Hunt, the chief of artillery. Henry was there to make sure Sickles was deploying his troops correctly. Sickles explained to Henry that he wanted to occupy the area known as the Peach Orchard. The Peach Orchard was similar to Hazel Grove and Chancellorsville, and he most likely remembered what had happened when he listened to his orders to abandon the Hazel Grove and the horrors that came after. When Hunt started to leave, Sickles asked permission to move. Hunt responded, not on my authority, and rode off. Eventually, Dan took it upon himself to move towards the Peach Orchard. Now he was no longer connected to the Second Corps or Little Round Top, and he left a massive gap in the fishhook line, and also Little Big Top was now unprotected, which was an area the Confederate Army wanted to occupy. More than that, he moved very close to the enemy's front line. He was a lot closer to the Confederate line than to his own. Sickles would later claim that he lacked sufficient strength to man Meade's front, yet the area he was now trying to cover was nearly twice as long. He probably figured that as long as he kept the Confederate troops in front of him, he would be okay. Now with his men all thinly stretched out in a V formation facing one direction, if the enemy came in from the side, which is what they did, it could only lead to trouble. At around 3 p.m., Meade was informed of what Sickles had done and rode out personally to talk to him. Sickles attempted to explain his thinking, but the furious Meade found it difficult to understand. Meade pointed to where Sickles should be, and he attempted to clarify that he was now in a position of neutral ground that would be impossible for either side to hold. As Sickles offered to move back, the Confederates began their attack. Meade had no choice but to leave him there and send in more troops for support. The enemy came in from the left, and the results were not pretty. Sickles' Third Corps lost about 50% of the men, either by death or capture, not to mention all the troops sent in to help. Sickles was supported by portions of Hancock's Second Corps, General Major George Sykes' Fifth Corps, Major John Sedwick's Sixth Corps, and the Artillery Reserve. Sickles, however, would spend the rest of his life defending his action and claiming himself to be Gettysburg's true hero. 
Still, the fact that he needed so much help in a lost cause seemingly proves that Sickle had moved into an indefensible position. To this day, some defend Sickle's action, but most condemn it. I read an article that claims that Sickle's action inadvertently, in the long run, helped the Union win the Battle of Gettysburg. But most historians believe Sickles' move to the peach orchard, disobeying orders, was a huge mistake. And he might have been court-martialed except for two things. The first is, at around 6.30 p.m. that same day, as Sickles was sitting on his horse by the old home he used as a headquarters, trying to get his troops regrouped, a cannonball in a million-to-one shot grazed his right leg. At first he didn't realize it until he felt something warm. Reaching down, he felt blood and knew he was in trouble. He had to be helped off his horse. The horse was surprisingly untouched. Sickles' knee was smashed and his leg was broken above and below his knee. A saddle strap was used as a tourniquet. As he was being carried away on a stretcher, word had gotten around that Sickles had died. Now, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it does make a great story that Dan Sickles had himself propped up and a cigar put into his mouth and lit. Sort of like a modern-day football player who gives the thumbs up as he's carried off on a stretcher. Dan Sickles would have his leg amputated, but there's a bit more. He had the leg packed up in a cast of alcohol. The leg was then donated to the Army Medical Museum. And it's still on display today, if you're so inclined to see it. Now, there's also a story that Dan would visit the leg once a year, but apparently this is not true. He did visit it at one time. He was on a tour of the museum and got very excited as they got close. He said, yes, yes, but let us come to my leg. When he saw it, he complained that the foot wasn't with it. When the curator explained that the foot wasn't necessary for the exhibit... Dan became very upset. Now, the loss of his leg was probably one reason he wasn't court-martialed. Because, you know, how could you do that to a man who lost a limb in the service of his country? The second reason Dan didn't get in trouble was because of the loss of his leg, he got back to Washington before all the others. And he talked to Abraham Lincoln and told him the story about how Dan Sickles won the Battle of Gettysburg. And since Lincoln was getting tired of his army's lack of aggression, it seemed like Sickles' move towards the front of the Confederate line was an act of bravery, something that spurred on the rest of the troops. Sickles would tell Lincoln, and anybody who would listen, of how Meade was ready to retreat on day one, and that he felt it was necessary to move ahead to get things going. He testified before a Senate committee who was looking to replace Meade, talking himself up, and at the same time, putting Meade down. And then there was an extensive article in the New York Herald, written by someone who called themselves Historicus. I kid you not, Historicus. And to this day, no one knows who wrote it, but whoever did seemed to definitely be a fan of Daniel Stickles. Meade was replaced by General Ulysses S. Grant, and Grant would not let the one-legged Stickles back into the war. But by then, his beloved 3rd Corps had been disbanded and the soldiers given away to other regiments. Soon after the close of the Civil War, in 1865, he was sent on a confidential mission to Columbia. In 1866, he was appointed Colonel of the 42nd U.S. Infantry Veteran Reserve Corps, and in 1869, he was retired with the rank of Major General. 
Sickles served as U.S. Minister to Spain from 1869 to 1874. His wife, Teresa, who was the subject of last episode, died of tuberculosis in 1867. Dan married a second time in 1871 and had two more children. It's also rumored that he had an affair with the deposed Queen Isabella II. But Dan was also an important part of an effort to preserve the Gettysburg battlefield. He sponsored legislation to form the Gettysburg National Military Park, which bought up private lands and erected monuments. Now, interestingly, all of the principal senior Gettysburg generals have statues at the site, except for Dan Sickles. When they asked Sickles about it, Sickles responded, The entire battlefield is a memorial to Dan Sickles. Now, in 1912, at the age of 93, Dan was involved in one more bit of controversy. He was deposed of his post of the New York Monuments Commission after $27,000 went missing. It was believed that Sickles embezzled this $27,000, and he might have gone to jail if his friends and admirers hadn't to replace the money. Sickles lived out the rest of his life in New York City and died on May 3, 1914 at the age of 94. He is buried at the Arlington National Cemetery. The whole reason I wanted to tell this story is because he is jauntily removed from the battlefield smoking a cigar. Uh, just the word jaunty is always used to describe that, uh, that tale. Now, I can't imagine what it's like to have your leg barely dangling and how jaunty you might feel. But of course, with Dan Sickles, the story is everything. And so that's the story he's going to go on to promote. Well, we're just days away from the sesquicentennial. That's an odd word, isn't it? Yeah, of the Battle of Gettysburg. The bloodiest battle of the Civil War, and it's not often that someone makes a controversial move that is still controversial 150 years later. But then again, Donna, there is only one Civil War general named Daniel Sickles. And when you Google his name, the first search suggestion that right. pops up is Daniel Sickles' leg. The second <laughs> one is Daniel Sickles' insanity. Wow. <laughs> a little bit before I go. You know, many times when I start researching a story, I just begin by scanning around the internet to look to see what others are saying about the subject. It gives me an overview or an idea of the direction I might want to head. In this case, I found that most just use Dan Sickles as a way to poke fun, which I understand, but so many of these lack any real information. It's just pretty much regurgitating what others have already written. Now, like I said at the beginning, I'll have links to Ranger Matt Atkinson's videos in the show notes for this episode. They're very interesting, and Matt does a really great job of explaining things. So if you want to know more about the story in a lot greater detail, check out his videos. And there's also a lot of books about sickles if anyone out there still reads. And once again, thank you, Nancy, for the story idea. And all of you out there, why don't you be like Nancy Fry and suggest stories for this old man to tell? Anyway, how about the ending credits? You've been listening to Coffee with Jeff, a Zeus Brothers Entertainment podcast. I thank you for listening. You know, this show takes money to produce and make available, so if you've got a few shekels you can afford to donate, hey, send them my way. You can find a link to my Patreon page at the Coffee with Jeff website. Just go to coffeewithjeff.com for more information. And you know what? Why don't you tell your friends about the show? I could use a few more listeners. 
You can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is, of course, Coffee with Jeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you're invited to join. You're encouraged to suggest story ideas at any of these places. Links to all the sources that I used to write today's episode are available at Transistor.fm's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. I'll have a link to it on my website. I want to thank my wife of 36 years for being my wife of 36 years, David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost this on social media. You have a special place in my heart. Take care, stay healthy, and remember, the coming winter months just give you an excuse to get something done in the house. Bye. Thank you.